the moment you've all been waiting for. It's time for the Steak for Breakfast Podcast. It's Tuesday, July 4th, 2023, and this is the Steak for Breakfast Podcast, episode 253. Make sure you subscribe to the show. It's available across every downloadable podcasting platform. Find us on Apple, Spotify, iHeart, and Google Podcasts. Check out the Steak for Breakfast link tree that'll take you to the show's Instagram, our latest Substack, and verified accounts on Twitter, Getter, and Truth Social. Happy Tuesday, everybody. Big 4th of July edition of the show today. I'm Ro. Noah's here. Yo. Norbin Laden's going to be sitting third chair co-hosting with us. We've got a lot of breaking news. Donald Trump rocked picking South Carolina with a huge rally this weekend, and we're going to check in on the fallout from the Supreme Court rulings last week. We've got a great slate of guests today. Gavin Wax, the president of the New York Young Republican Club, is going to be joining us, as well as John Pierce, the founder of the Constitutional Law Union. But before we get to any of our interviews, let's jump right into the headlines and change the way you consume your news. Smokey, this is not NOM. This is bowling. There are rules. Today, Junior, America! Steak. For breakfast! So stand by! All right, big 4th of July edition of the Steak for Breakfast podcast today. If you're a first-time listener, welcome. If you're a long-time listener, welcome back. This is America's fastest-growing, America-first political podcast, Steak for Breakfast. I want to welcome everybody in on this 4th of July and, and just can't be excited enough. We've got sitting third chair today, one of our favorites, who's always in search of life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness, journalist, author, correspondent, great friend of the show, Miss Norbin Laden. Thanks for joining us. Thank you so much for having me. It's great to be with you on this 4th of July as an honorary patriot from abroad. So thanks for having me on this special day. You are one of the biggest fans of everything we've got going on over here. All the good stuff, at least. And it's been way too long since you've been on the show. Nora, why don't you catch our listenership up and tell everybody what's been going on with you lately. What's some of the stuff you've been working on? We've seen you bounce around on places like War Room and, and, and things of that nature. We know you've definitely had an eye on everything that's going on with the World Health or- Organization and all the awful, terrible stuff they've got in store for us. Why don't you catch everybody up and, and tell them what you've been up to? Yeah, I'd say the past uh, couple of months I've been covering what's been going on here in Switzerland, uh, which is the base of the globalists, I'd say, when it comes to all these organizations and more of the administrative side of their operations. We know that they have, you know, the WEF headquarters in Geneva, the WHO headquarters in Geneva. And so you're absolutely right. Uh, They had the World Health Assembly uh, late May uh, take place in Geneva, and there was obviously lots to cover because uh, they are working very hard at eradicating the sovereignty of our nations through that very vehicle uh, with the uh, pandemic treaty, so-called pandemic treaty, and the uh, amendments to the international health regulations, uh, whereby they're using health as the Trojan horse and so-called pandemics to justify imposing Uh, laws that would supersede uh, national laws and national measures in the event of a, you know, health emergency. So we really need to keep track of that. I know there's so much going on on the day-to-day, on a day-to-day basis in each of our countries, you know, especially in the United States, but we can't lose sight of this because in parallel, on track is this plan via these globalist institutions to just eradicate our sovereignty and our independence. And so I'm glad you brought that up today, you know, because one of the things that I've been trying to 
speak about is the fact that America is no longer an independent nation. And so I'm still, you know, you know, I'm one of the OGs. I'm staying on that Trump train, MAGA forever. But I'd like to add to that by saying uh, Maya, you know, make America independent again. And for that, yeah. And so for that, we need to exit all of these uh, institutions, uh, international organizations like the WHO. We just need to get out of these organizations. Now, when you talk about some of the stuff that you've been tracking there, basically ground zero for the, how did the Ren put it? The Raig nationalists, the soy globalist regimes. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. You're talking about everything from social credit scores and forced vaccinations to digital IDs, etc. 100% control of your life. If you're not a good boy or girl, how dare me not use the correct pronouns. You won't be able to buy groceries or use an ATM machine at some point. This is like things that a lot of people hype up and others say is, is conspiracy theorist material. However, when, when you actually track some of these major events where thousands of delegates from hundreds of countries all over the world go and not only participate in but are actively involved with, this is stuff that is legit coming down the pike if we don't pump the brake on some of the stuff that that these guys are scheming up at some point in the near future don't you agree absolutely it's our own governments that are driving this because they are member states of the who and it's these member states that are actually pushing for the implementation of all these measures especially you know you mentioned the big one the digital ids or passports and uh it's important for americans to know that it's the biden regime that actually kick-started the process for the amendments to the international health regulations. And it is a list of, I think, about 20 or 25 leaders of our governments that actually called on the WHO to um, start working on a pandemic treaty. So these are the two instruments that are being drafted or devised through the WHO, whereby member states would be made legally binding to the WHO in terms of enforcing uh, the rules and regulations that the director general of the WHO decides upon, you know, one day in the event of a health emergency, as I mentioned. So we're talking about the travel restrictions. We're talking about mandated lockdowns, mandated jabs. Um, it's, it's so dystopian and it's right on our doorstep. I mean, they're, they're planning on signing this thing at the next uh, World Health Assembly in May 2024. So alarming to hear stuff like that. And, and, you know, they've always got a backup plan, Nor, You know, if the medical stuff and and the international pharmaceutical industrial complex can't get something like another pandemic to stick. Then we got Bill Gates mosquitoes. Well, that's the thing. (laughs) They're already running like pretty much a concurrent narrative that if we can't use something medically, we'll just change it into like this is a climate emergency for the United States. You've got articles coming out that people were talking about, actually, we got to reference them again, Ren the Raw Nationalist talked to us about it about six months ago, you know, these private companies using like chemicals and stuff to block out the sun to control climate change and climate change lockdowns and, and, and you know, digital passports could be tied to things like that if, if we don't get ahead of this and, and kind of, you know, fight back against these narratives, which for the most part are completely fake false premises and, and have no science backing them behind them though. But the, but the radical climate mafia is working just as hard as the medical one, aren't they? Uh, it isn't either or they're both working concurrently in conjunction with each other. And in fact, uh, climate change uh, now is, how would you say an integral part of the WHO 
agenda. They've added that in and are claiming the WHO is claiming that, you know, the climate change situation is a health emergency now. So both of these um, elements, you know, the health emergencies and the climate change, both hoaxes are being used in order to drive uh, this agenda forward, the new world order agenda, the great reset agenda, however you want to call it, which essentially involves the institution of our very own digital jails. And I talked about this when I was reporting on Davos in January. They just want to be able to track, measure, and control every single aspect of our lives. And you mentioned something as basic as our groceries, and that is 100% right. And this is something that Raw Egg Nationalist talks about as well. You know, the ratios, the quotas of beef that we're going to be allowed to consume, etc. While while these uh, leaders of these organizations and of our governments, they get to travel uh, privately. They get to eat the Wagyu beef at uh, the climate change conference, uh, COP27, I think it was. Uh, meanwhile, we won't be able to travel we won't be able to eat whatever it is we want. We will live in the pods, et cetera, et cetera. And this is being rolled out as we speak. You know, in Oxford, I think it was either earlier this year or even last year, they were already implementing the zoning in the city, mm. uh, whereby you could go to a certain zone or not, depending on where you were. But yeah, carbon ratio credits linked to digital IDs, linked to the most basic uh, goal that they have is, you know, these um, social credit credit score systems like in China. And then obviously it all ties into the disinformation and the censoring. And, you know, if you say something that the regime doesn't want you to say, then you get points taken off. And it's just, it's the episode, it's that famous episode of Black Mirror, right? Yes, it is. It is, and, and you know... Uh, yeah, your social credit score goes down to a certain point. They lock up your travel. You can't leave your 15-minute city. The lights won't turn on in your pod. The bug dispenser yeah. stops working. Damn it, but I love the bug dispenser. <laughs> Listen... A citizen yeah. of the soy globalist regime. As he so brilliantly said on our show not too long ago, it's, it's one of those things where on a day like Independence Day, the 4th of July here in the United States, when you think about how not too long ago it was that we fought for our independence and how far we've fallen from gaining it finally from, from places like the UK where regimes like the Biden regime is just so willing to give the keys to the castle over to, you know, the WHO and, and essentially the new world order and all that stuff. And listen, it's not conspiracy theory stuff anymore. This was stuff that you could make fun of maybe five, six years ago, but we've picked up so many W's and pointing this stuff out. And now all of these huge summits that they have are broadcast internationally on every kind of platform from television to the internet. We, we, they basically telling you the quiet part out loud now, and they're essentially daring us to try and stand up in the face of it. And we're so glad that you're there working on the front lines and or, and, and bringing a lot of awareness to to this stuff we don't get to talk about it enough because of how crazy our new cycle is but when we have an expert on the show someone who's really there and sees all this stuff firsthand everything from you know what they're talking about at these summits all the way down to physically acknowledging where the zonings are coming in, in your 15 minute cities coming to a city near you it's great to have somebody on the show who can really highlight some of the biggest red flags that you know we see and 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 ones that you you know get to see in person sometimes uh, thank you, Roan, for having me today, because I think it's so important. And I'd like to add that, you know, 
the globalists, they hate everything that this day stands for. And what the founders declared uh, 247 years ago is the very antithesis of their new world order agenda of surf, total serfdom for humanity. And this is why the globalists have done everything they can do to destroy the United States and destroy, more specifically, the independence and sovereignty of the United States. And so that's why I'm calling for a revival of the 1776 spirit, because what America needs right now is to once more fight for her independence. And um, you've been captured on so many levels, your country, your society has been captured on so many levels. I wrote about it in my letter to America, yep. but you just need to to get rid of all these anos, Americans in name only at all levels Love of it. your government and your institutions and your society. Just get rid of them. Well, let's talk about solutions. We've got a pretty big dose of kryptonite when it comes to all the globalists and, and people here in our government who would like to see us fail. Uh, the 45th president of the United States, vying to be the 47th president of the United States, Donald Trump kicked off the 4th of July weekend on Saturday with a massive rally in Pickens, South Carolina. The fire chief said that the crowd of the rally itself exceeded 50,000, but he wasn't able to determine on how big the crowd was with the overflow. A lot of people are saying it was in the neighborhood of 75,000. I'll definitely stick with that narrative just a fun fact for all of our listeners who didn't get to see it on TV and are only going to be hearing clips of it, audio version today. So the city of Pickens, South Carolina, has a population of 3,500 people. <laughs> and the size of the rally, again, I'm going to restate, just where the rally was, was at least 50,000. So it was bigly, to say the least. Uh, a lot of people tried to minimize, take small pictures of, say they were near on the ground reporting or hearing reports that it was first a couple hundred, maybe a couple thousand, 15,000 at most. But then when you have the fire chief come out who has to give the exact numbers after collaborating with the Secret Service, this was a huge rally and, and, and pretty impromptu to say the least. They had about 10 days of notice, much like they do this coming weekend when Donald Trump will be back for a reschedule in Iowa. Um, definitely need to talk about the importance of some of the things he talked about. But before we do that, we always like to play a little lead up going into the rally. And I think when you talk about the globalists, when you talk about the people that are compromised, when you talk about how fed up America first here is this populist movement with people who, even if they back Donald Trump, they're not going to give him a, you know, uh, a free pass anymore. They're going to make sure that they're held responsible for their views, for their narratives, especially during times when Donald Trump isn't in office. If you support President Trump, but you're not supporting America first in this moment in time when he's not in office, then what are you really worth and what value do you bring to the America first movement in general? I think no one experienced that more harshly than South Carolina Senator Lindsey Graham when he took the stage to speak right before President Trump. Let's hear it. Senator Lindsey Graham. to Pickens. Thank y'all for coming. Thank you very much. Thank you. Thank y'all. 
Thank you all for coming. Thank you very, very much. Thank you. Thank you. Thanks a bunch. Well, well, you want to find something in common? <laughs> all right. Thank you all. Thank you all very much. Welcome to Pickens County. A little bit about this county. Just calm down for a second. I think you'll like this. Pickens County has more Medal of Honor winners per capita than any place in the nation. I was born in this county. I live 15 miles down the road. This is a place where people pay the taxes, fight the wars, and tell you what they believe. How many of you believe that Donald Trump was a great president? So let me tell you a little bit about me and President Trump. How many of you think I'm a piece of shit? What happened? I found common ground with President Trump. It took a while to get there, folks. But let me tell you what happened. I come to like President Trump, and he likes himself, and we got that in common. What a loser. He didn't say Trump likes and him. And I'm going to help him become President of the United States. Let me tell you why I want to help President Trump. I was on the front row of his presidency. And I'd never seen anybody this tough for America. How many of you heard the phrase, we like Trump policies, but we want somebody new? Have you heard that? Well, let me tell you this. Without Donald Trump, there are... I think you guys got to kind of get... Yeesh. That's brutal. Listen, I don't think he's ever been booed by such a large audience before. Well, this just the fact that he goes, I like Donald Trump and Donald Trump likes himself. <laughs> Donald Trump doesn't like you, apparently. And then the one guy was like, no, I don't want to hear this. Everybody turn around, turn around, turn your backs to him. <laughs> Love it. Oof, it was brutal. Nor, I mean, you've probably got no love for someone who wants to see Russia and Ukraine fight another endless war at the, you know, behest of the U.S. taxpayer than Senator Lindsey Graham, our real-life Mr. Garrison. What do you think? It's pretty amazing, though. You know, people were pretty in a good mood at these Trump rallies, but I think we've finally gotten to a point to where, like, not only are we going to hold President Trump accountable moving forward with his candidacy to not let people close to the breast who are going to scumbag him like so many people have since he started his political career, but then if they're going to want to go out there and openly support him, they're going to hear their disdain on the campaign trail when, uh, well, like Lindsey Graham, had the balls to get up on stage in, in, in home turf and, and get booed in such a way as he did. What do you think? I think that's exactly how Anos should be treated. <laughs> I mean, the only thing that was missing from that was a good tar and feathering. <laughs> I know, right? Just drag yeah. him through the streets. I'm surprised there was no uh, tomatoes coming out or anything like that because it was brutal. So, I mean, the only th that was three and a half minutes. The only time he got a moderate cheer 
is when he asked the crowd if they like President Trump. What if there was like a popcorn guy going around, but he just had like produce? Canned tomatoes? Oh, canned tomatoes. <laughs> Make it hail? Mm. Pretty absolutely brutal. It was shortly thereafter that Donald Trump took the stage. They did have a buffer in between him to kind of get everybody on the right track. The beloved former senator and current governor of the state of North Carolina, Governor McMaster, came up and, and had a great pre-speech uh, and, and kind of, you know, set the tone for Donald Trump. He arrived with a flyover of the town, as he usually did, in Trump Force One. was actually there pretty quick. And due to the near triple-digit heat in Pickens, South Carolina, President Trump did not have his usual... Uh, what is it called when you're uh, fashionably late? Yeah, fashionably late. He mm. didn't have one of those. He was actually out there within 15 minutes of his, uh, you know, scheduled speech uh, talking time and uh, jumped right into it, of course, hitting Joe Biden and the Biden regime. Let's hear it. Fake news media has finally started to admit what we all knew. Joe Biden is the most corrupt president in American history by far. It's not even close. He's a criminal and a liar who sold his office to foreign countries and many other people. You take a look at what's going on. All of the stuff goes into, the stuff he calls, it goes into family pockets. And it comes from many cases, very bad third world actors that nobody thought they were going to get caught with all of their phony corporations that they set up. The only problem is those people don't like to report on it, but they're actually having to start. It's very interesting. I'm just not sure I want to run against anybody else. I sort of like this one. And by the way, we're leading him by a lot. But just think, just think of the massive Biden corruption unveiled in the past few weeks alone. According to representatives, James Comer and Jim Jordan, who are doing a fantastic job, by the way. Sure are. At least nine Biden family members were paid vast sums of money through 20 different shell companies for no legitimate reason at all. They can't figure it out. While Crooked Joe was vice president, he was using that as a cash machine. In addition, we learned the FBI is explosive evidence that Joe Biden took bribes from Ukraine, yet the corrupt FBI, it's out of control, not only covered it up, they stayed silent while crazy Nancy Pelosi, <laughs> little Adam Schiff, how about that beauty, little Adam Schiff, and the radical Democrats impeached me, they impeached me, but that was just the beginning, because they also indicted me a couple of years later for asking questions about the Biden bribery scam just happened to ask it turned out i was right this is a sick nest of people that needs to be cleaned out and cleaned out immediately turned out i was right now nor you don't see a lot of u.s politicians kind of like joe biden has been uh, accused of acting in such a globalist fashion where currencies like three carat diamonds and and random payments of, of millions and millions of dollars while fraudulently sitting on energy boards or building track homes in places like Iraq and Afghanistan, as Joe Biden and his family have been accused of right now, it's it's not really common within the U.S. federal government. They like to kind of stay to like the big complexes, the biopharmaceutical, military industrial uh, and, and international lobby groups, but they don't really go out and 
as blatantly abused their office and position as Joe Biden did and, and allowed people like his crackhead son and his, you know, con man brother to go around the world and basically broker these huge business deals that have lined the pockets of his family for decades now. Is it pretty crazy to see how people like representatives Jim Comer and James Jordan and others that are working very close on this have kind of started to peel back the layers and shown just how corrupt Joe Biden and his whole family is? I think what's really sad is that um, I just, it's always been there, the corruption, not always, but I mean, the last 50 odd years, let's say, um, but it's never been uh, this overt for sure. And I can't help but think when I watch what's going on uh, with this, I, I refer to him as the senile pedo um, <laughs> sitting in the in the White House. It feels like it's part of an operation to humiliate the United States on the world stage. That's a good point. That's a good angle. I, uh, I don't see how they would have put this, ch- selected this person. I mean, we know he's this is essentially the the third term of Obama, right? Absolutely. And it's all like the hanger-ons of the Obama administration, but that they would choose him as the figurehead. Um, there must be an element of, of humiliating the United States and trying to discredit the United States because on the larger scheme of things, it helps with the uh, agenda of um, making the United States weak in order to advance with the new world order if that makes sense no it certainly does and and you know when you talk about how much the biden regime has been so willing to cater to things like open borders and climate Mm -hmm. change and dei policies that is right on track with all the stuff that's trying to get spread over the world i mean look at the absolute chaos that's ensued in places like france over the last week i have not seen stuff stuff like that. It's just absolutely wild. And then, you know, obviously what's going on in Ukraine is is probably one of the largest money laundering operations in the history of the galaxy. And and Ron, one thing I'd like to say is, you know, one of the reasons why I'm so, um, you know, you have so many people that criticize Trump and, you know, that say, oh, all all these excuses, right, about about President Trump. And um, I'm... I've always been on the MAGA train and I'm staying on the MAGA train because, first of all, if you don't understand the depths of what he's been trying to fight, um, you can't appreciate what this man has gone through and and to expect him to unravel all of this architecture that the globalists have. Um, set up throughout the 20th century, the subversion operations of the 20th century of the United States, the capturing of the United States throughout, you know, the 20th century. Uh, If you can expect one man with a few people around him to undo this in one term, then you don't understand what we're dealing with here. And then the second thing is why this man is so important and deserves our utmost respect is because thanks to him, millions of people were awakened to the corruption and the depravity of the American ruling elite who have essentially hijacked your country and sold it off to the globalists. Listen, you can't say anything other than what you've seen over the last, you know, nearly three years with Joe Biden and all the Obama holdovers being in office compared to when Donald Trump literally accepted an invitation to, uh, you know, Davos and, and shook the hand of, of Klaus Schwab and, and said he was doing a great job 
you know, on the news right to his face and then took the stage and said, as long as he's the leader of the United States, we will never bend the knee to all these globalists who are just talking about absolutely crazy shit at this summit and then got on Air Force yeah. One and got out of there. So it was probably one of the biggest and best trollings of all time. Donald Trump is looking forward to investigate Joe Biden and the crime family uh, a little bit higher than House Oversight and Weaponization Committees. Let's hear about what he's talking about once he gets back into office. Joe Biden is corrupt, and Joe Biden is a very compromised president. He's being paid off just like a common criminal gets paid off, just a more sophisticated manner and much larger numbers. But he's totally protected by the Department of Injustice and by the fake news media, which has been weaponized to a degree we have never, ever seen before. This is a crime. 100 times bigger than Watergate, and they just don't want to write about it. When I get back in office, I will appoint a real special prosecutor to investigate every detail of the Biden crime family of corruption. I like it. And I think with a real leader in the U.S. Justice Department, um, someone along the lines of, of Matt Whitaker on steroids? Not saying that he ever did steroids because he was a college football player and he's a rather large man, but uh, someone who's really willing to not only gut that historically corrupt institution that's been corrupt since before Watergate, probably before JFK, and, and really start to put some people in there who are willing to do investigations that benefit the American people, I think, on, on, a, on a larger scale than we're seeing now, which is targeting patriots. I want to pull up something for you that I saved the other day about the DOJ and the FBI because it's important to know the history of the country in order to understand where we are today. And sure. I don't know if your audience knows this, but the FBI was actually born in deceit and it is an illegitimate institution. It was created unconstitutionally in 1908 by Theodore Roosevelt's attorney general. His name was Charles Bonaparte. And so that underscores the fact that even back then, the DOJ was as compromised as it is today under Merrick Garland. And the Congress had refused to uh, create this, uh, this institution, the FBI. And so it was the Attorney General Charles Bonaparte that reshuffled some of the funds and created the FBI nonetheless. And then we know what happened, you know, under Woodrow Wilson, yep. it was being used. Uh, to, it was already weaponized against patriots that were against U.S. intervention in the First World War. Ron Paul has spoken about this. There was a viral clip that's so good of Ron, of Ron Paul explaining this. Um, so, no, it's just been, I mean, we're talking 1908, right? So it goes to show how long this has been going on in terms of the capturing and weaponization of institutions against the American population. And that's exactly what it was. It was basically, you know, uh, created to, so the justice department has basically their own police force funded by the federal government, even when it's been reluctant to do so to basically carry out intimidation and, and, and espionage techniques against American citizens in places where they feel like, you know, people aren't feeding into the narrative. People aren't getting in line like they're supposed to be to just to be the sheep like the government hopes they all are, you know, just the mass consumers without question. And, uh, you know, we live in such a digital age now <laughs> that 
you know, we see these things like Patriot Front or things like the January 6th pipe bomber where people could just pretty much call out Fed, 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 and everybody gets to see it because it's just so bad the way that they've always operated. And, and the fact of the matter is now is that it's on display for everyone to see it. When you talk about even like the intimidation tactics that went into crushing the Hunter Biden charges, we just didn't see anything stick to this guy. I mean, just new video came out this weekend from the Hunter Biden laptop of him driving nearly 200 miles an hour while smoking crack. Are we sure that wasn't like the kilometers an hour on like a foreign car? No, it was here in the United States. It was it was definitely. I mean, that's pretty fucking fast. Well, amen. even in kilometers, that's really fast. Uh, Cocaine's a one, hell of a drug. 170 in kilometers? How fast is that? I don't remember. I forget the. That's fast. I mean, in kilometers, the speed limit on the highway in Switzerland is 120. There's so many great memes out today, no. too. Like, what the hell is a kilometer? Because it's 4th of July. So I, I've, dri- I've, dri- <laughs> yeah, I've driven I on the Autobahn, that. so it, it doesn't really seem good. too fast. <laughs> oh, there you go. Um, President Trump also wanted to highlight some of the things he's working on as part of Agenda 47. That would be his economic package. I thought, you know, hearing a little bit about that would be great on this 4th of July edition of the show. So let's hear it. Okay. We will replace Biden's tax hikes with the beautiful Trump tax cuts. You know, we have to extend the tax cuts. Biggest tax cuts in history. I will cancel every Biden regulation that's harming South Carolina workers. And there are many and they're coming into being every single day. We will stop Biden's inflation nightmare. And I will reverse every one of Biden's globalist economic betrayals. And once again, we will put America first, and we'll put it first like never before. To protect South Carolina workers and manufacturers, I will pass the Trump Reciprocal Trade Act, which I have one vote right here already. And he said to me, gee, that sounds good. You mean one for one. But we had some senators that I don't think either they had a deal made or they didn't understand it. But it's an incredible thing. As an example, if India, China, or another country hits us with a 100% or 200% tariff, any tariff at all, we will hit them with the exact same tariff. I like that. Hey, he threw in one of the, it was an incredible thing. <laughs> well, well, you know, that clip would go on for a little bit longer, and he would thank Senator Lindsey Graham for already being <laughs> at board. And everybody started booing again. It's the only time they booed at Donald Trump during the whole rally. And he's like, come on, he's not that bad. And they're like, no, fuck that guy. And they're like, really? And they're like, boo. And he's like, all right, let's talk about something else. <laughs> so no quarter for Lindsey Graham on Saturday in picking South Carolina. <laughs> it's perfect. Listen, I want to remind everybody, wherever you're listening to the show today, whether it's on Apple, Spotify, iHeart, or Google Podcasts, please subscribe to the Steak for Records podcast. Helps us out in the algorithms. Rate the show and leave a review on Apple. Make sure you rate it on Spotify as well. And then across our social media, Twitter, Getter, True Social, Instagram, find the podcast on our official pages, follow it, and hit the notification bell. We're going to be sitting down with constitutional attorney who's got a few really big January 6 cases coming up, John Pierce. He's the founder of the Constitutional Law Union in just a few minutes, but we are going to hit a couple more highlights from the Trump rally. But before we get to that, let's check out a poll that came out over the weekend, which I thought was bigly, to say the least. It definitely shows that President Trump's stock continues to rise within the Republican Party. All right, talking about this poll now from the, it's the 2024 GOP primary poll trends among likely voters, and it's put out by Echelon Insights. So back in January, President Trump was at 36%, and Florida Governor Ron DeSantis was at 34%. Um, That's increased greatly 
And the one that came out for June showed Donald Trump is now at 49%, and Ron DeSantis has sank all the way down to 16% with Vivek Ramaswamy right on his heels at 11% national average. Huge compared to what we've seen just a couple months ago. And it says a lot for how the American public, now that they've been introduced to Agenda 47, we've gone through a couple indictments, and we know what Donald Trump's bringing to the table as society here in the United States continues to spiral down, whether it's on the southern border, crime and safety, uh, your wallet and 401k, geopolitics, etc. Nor outside looking in as someone who's, you know, outside of the United States and, and sees how Donald Trump has risen back to prominence in the polls in the GOP nomination right now. And it's like he's running his own race and the rest of the people are just working on maybe possible additions to the next administration or their future book deals or TV spots. Is it? Surprise you at all as someone who's been on the MAGA train since day one to see Donald Trump shoot up to number one spot and be in control of such a commanding lead so fast? I'll say two things. The first thing is I'm not surprised at all. And I actually did a tweet a few weeks ago stating that um, people uh, were delusional if they think that somebody else could galvanize so so many people. Um uh, in support, and not only in the United States, but there will never be another candidate that can galvanize the crowds like Donald Trump, like President Trump, even abroad. You remember all these rallies in Nigeria and Japan yep. and Guatemala. Um, he is not just the president of the United States. He's, al- he's also the leading figure fighting globalism for all of our nations, you know, and he said it at one of his UN um uh, address, he said that every country should be uh, that country first, you know, like America first, like yeah. Switzerland first, etc. And so people who understand the fight against globalism that we're in um, truly admire and appreciate Donald Trump all over the world. And the second thing I want I wanted to say is God bless Laura Loomer for her relentless, relentless um fighting and exposing of that global fraud that is uh, Ron DeSantis. And uh, with regards to that poll, I just wanted to say there was a really funny line in the Politico article that covered the rally this weekend. And I just wanted to read it to you. So it's this guy, Bruce, who was attending the rally. So the article goes, Bruce said Trump was the only one who could get him to travel for four hours and show up at 4.45 a.m. to stand in the heat for a rally momentarily blanking on DeSantis's name. He said he liked the candidate from Florida, but thinks DeSantis needs more time to be prepared to handle the job of president. But I thought that momentarily blanking on DeSantis's name was really telling because he's not at all memorable in any way, shape or form. And his, aside from that, his campaign has been such a disaster. Yeah. And more importantly, as I mentioned at the outset of of talking about this, just Laura Loomer has been destroying him and exposing him for the ano that he is, and uh, we can really thank her for that. We do thank her. She's become a great friend of my, me. She's a good friend of the show. She comes on and provides commentary and analysis and things that's pertinent to the narratives we're talking about whenever she's breaking stories on it. And we, we have tracked the work that she's done. And listen, everybody might not like it's a It's a lot like Donald Trump. She, she's kind of grown out of the mold that he set for everybody. You might not like the way she does her job, but the fact of the matter is when she does it, it's extremely thorough to the point and 100% honest and truthful. So you, you got to give credit where credit is due. And she 
sticks her neck out for America first more often than not than probably anybody else in this movement right now, aside from Donald Trump, when you're talking about the risks that she takes to expose people and, and to the depths that she'll go uh, to get the real news. Speaking of which, Donald Trump uh, was feeling in a little bit of a poetry mood during the rally and, and wanted to maybe take it back to the 2016 and, and 2018 campaign trails and, and give a rendition of the snake because the audience called for it. So let's hear it. Does anybody want me to do the snake? Yeah. Now, you know, it is very hot. It'll take a minute, but it is hot. Who wants the snake? Yeah. Who doesn't want the snake? Nobody. Let's go. He's talking about the poem. I so this is... This is, I don't, I don't really need it, actually. I don't really need it. We, we remember things pretty well. But this is about our border. This is about what's happening. This is about the treachery of what's happening on our border and the people that are coming in. And countries aren't sending their best. They're sending people that are, as you know, and as I said, in jails and mental institutions, insane asylums. It's a horrible thing. Horrible thing that's happening. And I believe the real number is going to be 15 million people by the end of this year, Henry. So it's going to be terrible. On her way to work one morning, down the path along the lake, a tender-hearted woman saw a poor, half-frozen snake. His pretty colored skin had been all frosted with the dew. Poor thing, she cried, I'll take you in and I'll take care of you. Take me in, O oh tender woman, take me in, for heaven's sake. Take me in, O oh tender woman, sighed the vicious snake. She wrapped him up all cozy in a comforter of silk and laid him by her fireside with some honey and some milk. She hurried home from work that night, and as soon as she arrived, she found the pretty snake she'd taken had been fully, fully, fully revived. Take me in, O oh tender woman. Take me in for heaven's sake. Take me in, O oh tender woman, sighed the vicious snake. She clutched him to her bosom. You're so beautiful, she cried. But if I hadn't brought you in by now, you truly would have died. She stroked his pretty skin again and kissed and held him tight. But instead of saying, thank you, ma'am, the snake gave her a vicious bite. Take me in, O oh tender woman, take me in, for heaven's sake. Take me in, O oh tender woman, sighed the vicious snake. I saved you, cried the woman. And you've bitten me, but why? You know your bite is poisonous, and now I'm going to die. Shut up, silly woman said the reptile with a grin. You knew damn well I was a snake before you took me in. I think it's pretty good. I th You're going to have to make a clip at the beginning of that. Yeah. Who wants the snake? <laughs> Who wants the snake? You know, I think it says a lot, not just on the border, but a lot of the people who worked alongside Donald Trump, whether they were his appointees or people that came on in the, in the beginning of the first administration or congressional counterparts, both men and women who, you know, scumbagged him over throughout the course of his presidency after saying that they would support him once he won the nomination first and then defeated Hillary Clinton uh, in the presidential election back in 2016. So 
some people really don't think the importance of, of reading that every now and then and, and what it does. But when you have a, an audience that big, especially it was being broadcast everywhere throughout the weekend, you really have to take it into context and think that they're a whole lot more aware going in for a second round of what things are going to look like. And you'll probably see more snakes coming out than ever. But the fact of the matter is, is that you won't see them falling prey to getting bit in the bosom. As so put in the poem. What do you guys think? Getting bit in the bosom? Mm-mm. Getting scumbagged over by people who, you know, <laughs> say they're going to go in and do the job. You know, you've had everyone from secretaries of state and defense during the Trump administration to attorney generals who, and, and congressmen and women who just didn't get the job done, didn't get the give the votes that they said they were going to provide on, on America First policies. They just decided to side with the globalists and their lobby groups and special interests or, you know, their own selves who think, oh, I could do it better in the next election myself. Well, that's worked out great for the country. I think every one of those people should be have to get up on stage with Donald Trump so the crowd can boo them. <laughs> yes. No, listen, the the events of the past um, few years and getting to see who is actually true to their word yep. is going to lead to a much tighter second administration. This yeah. is what we can hope for after there, everything that's happened. Well, there's definitely a loyal group of patriots. I mean, Donald Trump even... He put out on Truth Social over the weekend a screenshot of a text conversation he had with Nancy Mace where she essentially confirmed and congratulated the ridiculous numbers of people who came out to this rally. And she even said close to 75,000, which uh, she thinks is amazing. I'm not fully okay with myself letting her back on board America first, but I think she kind of gets it. She doesn't like being primaried every two years either. You have to spend a lot more money and don't get to keep as much for yourself when you have to, you know, fight off every single candidate that Donald Trump's going to throw in to go against you. And even though she is an impeachment enthusiast, she never went ahead and made the vote. I just think moving forward, she kind of gets it, especially with the Justice Department and how absolutely ridiculous everything is. As a student of the law, as South Carolina House Representative Nancy Mace is, to finally be on board with if not the man, at least the policies that are going to better serve her constituents and the, and the American people. So we're going to play a little bit of the rap right now as we get ready to close out here and jump in with John Pierce. Let's hear the 45th president take us out of the rally. With your support, this primary, we are going to finish what we started. With you at my side, we will demolish the deep state. We will drive out the globalists. We will cast out the communists. We will throw off the slick and very sick political class that hates our country. And we will rout the fake news media. We will defeat crooked Joe Biden. And we will drain the swamp in Washington, D.C. once and for all. Like those great patriots before us, we will not bend, we will not break, we will not yield, we will never give in, we will never give up, we will never ever back down. Together we will complete the mission, we will cross the finish line, we will rescue freedom, liberty and justice and propel that spirit of July 4th, 1776. We will win a righteous and magnificent victory on November 5th, 2024.
The great silent majority is rising like never before. Nobody has ever seen this before, ever, ever, ever. These record crowds are massively before the election. Nothing like this has ever happened in our country and probably any other country either. But under our leadership, the forgotten men and women will be forgotten no longer. We are one movement, one people, one family, and one nation under God. And together, we will make America powerful again. We will make America wealthy again. We will make America strong again. We will make America proud again. We will make America safe again. And we will make America great again. Thank you. To well, can't really frame it any better than that. And mm -mm. you could you could hear the response from the crowd. That was not a two, three, four, five thousand person speaking event at you know a statewide Republican committee hall or some rented out ballroom somewhere. That was a very organic, very loud, stadium-esque type cheers for some of the highlights that he hit um, throughout the course of that campaign speech. Probably one of his better ones to date. Kept it shorted a little bit over an hour. Didn't get off track too much, except for some, you know, mission-specific nicknames, a little bit of the snake, and uh, hitting people like Chris Christie and all the other friends on the road. But we're going to continue to track President Trump. He's going to have a busy week. I think he's got a couple of speaking events and interviews that he's going to be doing throughout the course of the week. He'll be in Iowa next Saturday. We'll have full coverage on our next Tuesday edition of Steak for Breakfast podcast. We're getting ready to jump in right now with John Pierce, the Constitutional Law Union. But before we do that, let's hear from one of our partners. I think it's time we had a conversation about a good night's sleep. Pillow King of Minnesota, Mike Lindell, and the apparatus known as the MyPillow family has been cranking out savings down at MyPillow for over 20 years. And for the first time in 20 years, they've changed the long-standing MyPillow and now have the MyPillow version 2.0. You enter promo code STAKE at checkout, you're going to get buy one, get one free. In addition to that, they've got great savings on all things like MyPillow dog beds, the Air Lindell version 1 and 2, My Slippers, and Giza Dream Everything. If you're more of a morning person, they've launched My Coffee. It's available in the bean, the bag, and the pod. When you enter promo code STAKE here, you're going to get 25% off your order or 50% off when you make it a monthly subscription. MyPillow.com forward slash steak for anything sleep related. If you want the coffee, MyStore.com forward slash steak. Or you can always talk to a qualified pillow representative. 1-800-658-8045. All right, joining us first on the show today, this big Independence Day edition of Steak for Breakfast. He's the founder of the National Constitutional Law Union. Very excited to sit down with John Pierce for the first time. John, happy 4th of July. Happy Fourth of July! Happy Independence Day! Thank you so much for having me. It's great to be here. I'm a big fan of uh, of your show. And we're we've been tracking all the great works you've got going on, which means, of course, you're going to be getting pretty busy here in the next couple of weeks. You've been representing some of the uh, January six cases, things that we track on the show. We've had everybody from people who were there on the ground to just about every lawyer who's involved in some way, shape, or form. Uh, organizations like the. Uh, the January 6th funds and stuff like that come through the show and kind of tell us their stories and, and develop everything for our listenership. But you're actually going to be in the inside of a courtroom representing some of these uh, defendants and families in a few weeks. You want to tell our listenership a little bit about that? 
Uh, sure thing. So um, I got involved in January 6th cases, essentially uh, right after January 6th. Um, at the time, I was uh, representing Kyle Rittenhouse in the Kenosha shootings and uh, kind of wrapping up that representation. And um, uh, January 6th happened and uh, there were folks that needed help uh, right away. And um, as you recall, you know, there were not a lot of people in the country at that time who were standing up for uh, January 6th defendants. I think that the, uh, the the narrative of the left and the mainstream media was pretty effective for the first several months. So it was a pretty lonely time, uh, but very quickly, um, I got to the point where I was representing dozens of January 6th defendants. And I think right now we have, uh, I believe the number is 35, 36. It actually changes uh, day by day. Um, but we just got the best jury verdict um, of any January 6th case so far uh, a few weeks ago on uh, June 1st. I think the verdict came out for Navy combat veteran Kenneth Joseph Thomas. Uh, father of four, uh, minister, and we essentially won five out of the 12 counts, including uh, beating the 20-year felony obstruction of official proceedings charge. And so we have 12 uh, trials scheduled between now and the end of the calendar year. We have one on uh, July 10th, and so it's going to be a very busy uh, several months, and we also have trials going into 2024 that are scheduled already. Now, John, we don't want to, you know, ask you anything that would hurt or help any of the cases you're currently working on. But one of the things I think our listenership really needs to be tuned in into when you're working on these cases and with these families and going through the proceedings and breaking down these charges, like you said, in one case, for instance, you were able to beat like five of 12 charges. How important is it to deconstruct the narrative that the U.S. Justice Department has built against you know, the citizens of this country who did whatever they did on January 6th, whether it was just like, you know, walking around taking pictures with a selfie stick to other things that happened that day. But how important is it to, to for our listenership to really understand how big of, of a milestone this is as far as the justice system goes? And if we don't fight as hard as people like you are fighting for this right now, it could lead to a slippery slope that could make things a lot easier for the federal government to throw people in jail moving forward. Oh, it's it's more important than uh, really can even be described. <laughs> um, if if the if the narrative that uh, again the left and the mainstream media um, and the White House, frankly, and the DOJ were trying was were trying to get to stick initially it, that this was a you know terrible armed insurrection and that all of us in modern world are you know uh, these terrible domestic terrorists. Um, th that is so dangerous, it's impossible to, uh, you know, to describe. It's going to lead to a slippery slope where our First Amendment is just shredded, um, you know, and our individual liberties um, go by the wayside. Uh, that, that's why we've been fighting so hard. And, and in these trials, it's extremely important to lean into exactly what happened on that day. It's extremely important to go through the videos that the government wants to, to show and, and actually, you know, lean into them and show moment by moment that these that these defendants were protecting themselves in many cases that they were protecting other people from deadly excessive force by the police officers that um, in many instances they were let in uh, to the Capitol building for those uh, who went in um, and to and to really um, you know to really show the jury even in D.C. Um, you know, uh, we do our best to get to get good juries. Um, I like to think I'm, I'm pretty good at picking juries. And I think we got a pretty fair jury in this last trial. And just a quick example of how ridiculous it is, some of the things that the GO, DOJ tries to do in these trials. And think about this for a second. Um, in the Joe Thomas case, <clears throat> in terms of trying to get a conviction for tw a 20-year felony, obstruction of official proceedings, one of the pieces of evidence they used was that uh, Joe Thomas put on social media, the text of the 12th Amendment, just the text of the 12th Amendment, because he wanted 
the 12th Amendment to be adhered to. He didn't go there to try to obstruct anything from happening. He went there because he wanted the proceedings, the procedures in the 12th Amendment uh, to be adhered to what's actually in the Constitution. And, and I, I really, you know, I highlighted that in closing argument. I think the jury really, um, you know, understood um, how ridiculous that was. So 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 what cannot happen is we cannot shy away from these from these fights, from these battles, either factually, legally or from the overall narrative standpoint. No, that's a, that's that's it right there. And then when you talk about some of the, you know, U.S. House representatives and senators who are basically using the same premise, going on television talk shows and, and, and discussing it with the, you know, millions of viewers of listenership, writing op-eds about it in places like Newsweek and the Wall Street Journal leading up to that day, it, it kind of set the whole, you know, what everybody thought could happen just to kind of set it up to fail. And then, you know, we've got to where we've gotten and, and, you know, it's great to see you really busting it as far as getting some of these people, uh, you know, reduced sentences and, and showing the wins and, and, you know, using the constitutional law that's available, not just the premise of what the radical progressive left has shown and things like the January 6th committee. I mean, you can't see it on the news essentially anywhere other than like Fox news or Newsmax without like a 10 second, tight angle shot of like people pushing on police officers. And there's a large demographic of people across the United States who think, you know, that's a microcosm of what January 6th was. It was, it was yelling and screaming and violence. I saw a panelist on CNN just over the weekend. They were talking about stuff that's important to to 4th of July and our independence. And they got down the rabbit hole of January 6th. And this guy stood his ground and was like, no, this was an armed insurrection. And they kept pushing back on him. And they're like, what was it armed with? And he's like, flagpoles are weapons. And, you know, even the people on CNN kind of laughed at them, but that's the stuff that they're still regurgitating out to their audiences on, on a regular basis and trying to condition the American public. It's kind of like with the Trump document case now. Uh, you know, we've had a lot of people on the Trump legal team and, and through our show, and, you know, we've talked about how the, the media conditions people to think it's something that it legally or constitutionally wasn't. And you can't turn on a news program right now that doesn't show a room in Donald Trump's Mar-a-Lago estate without boxes and boxes stacked up places. But then when you go and read the indictment, they want 106 pieces of paper, you know, spread out over 35 bullet points. So showing that to the American public every single time it's on TV and they talk about it is kind of the same thing they did with the January 6th defendants and showing that it like them pushing on police officers was literally the only thing that happened that day. And it sets like a really bad standard going into something where they're really trying to put people in jail for decades and decades, don't you think? Uh, yeah, absolutely. And look, I will say that we have, you know, be- because we have fought so hard, and of course, you know, most of the credit goes to these defendants who have had the courage to not take plea deals, um, to not admit to things that they actually didn't do, and to go and to go to trial. Um, and I think in the process of that, in the process of starting to get some of these uh, some of these wins, um, and you know, with more and more of the open source video that's coming out, um, we're actually making huge progress. So, so you may re- remember. Before the last election, there was an MSNBC reporter who went into a focus group in uh, Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania. And I, I'm from Western Pennsylvania. I bleed black and gold. And, you know, those are salt of the earth people um, and, you know, Democrats, independents, Republicans. And she went in there and basically, you know, tried to act like January 6th was this horrible thing and Trump should be prosecuted and et cetera, et cetera. And, and, and the people in that focus group were just having absolutely none of it. And, and these were not a bunch of, um, you know, MAGA folks from, uh, you know, Wyoming or Montana. These are people in Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania. And so I, I think that uh, the American people understand, they, they understand now what happened on January 6th. And I, I think that, I think that, um, you know, the DOJ, um, the left, 
the mainstream media, they just they miscalculate the intelligence of the American people uh, to see through these things. I think that's why the indictments of President Trump are backfiring uh, sure. politically. Um, and, um, you know, I, I think that, uh, look, the reason that you're seeing the left uh, essentially arrest its political opponents there's only one there's only one explanation for that. They're, they're desperate and they don't have any issues left to run on. And, you know, they know that Trump will go in there and, um, you know, obliterate the deep state, um, as he said, when he get, gets back in there. And they're terrified. No, they certainly are. And, and like I said, you can't give enough credit to the hard work you're doing representing these people and, and, and getting the truth out there, because I think that's, you know, above all, most important. You have to be able to get in the courtroom, break it down, what the, you know, uh, angles are constitutionally. And then the events that really happened on that day, there was a lot of people who were there, honestly, peaceful protesting than there was anybody doing, you know, damage or violence or anything like that. John, while we've got you, I got to ask you, you know, it was such a huge week for the Supreme Court last week, uh, heading into this Independence Day weekend. We saw some major rulings. I think the one that's still kind of engulfing the news cycle heading into to the new week was the ruling on affirmative action 6-3 vote saying that you know both private and public institutions like UNC and Harvard cannot use affirmative action based policies to you know have students uh, meet their enrollment standards this has to be one of the biggest rulings probably in the history of the Supreme Court it, it follows up on nearly the year anniversary of the overturning of Dobbs and the Roe v. Wade decision what do you think when you saw some of these uh, rulings come out last week especially the one off of affirmative action yeah, so I think there were essentially three huge rulings uh, last week that were really, uh, you know, r really went our way, so to speak, in terms of the Constitution. And, you know, first and foremost, it's, of course, uh, a real credit to Donald Trump and, you know, what he accomplished in terms of uh, uh, the Supreme Court, um, you know, despite uh, all the attacks that he's suffered and continues to suffer. I mean, that that right there in itself was a huge accomplishment, what he did with the Supreme Court, um, and that will have an impact for generations to come. I think, you know, the affirmative action case, of course, is just is just huge because because, you know, the, the fundamental American idea is that we are all uh, equal under the law because we are all made in the image of God. And, and, the, and the notion that, um, you know, people will be judged based on their race in any way, shape and form is antithetical um, to the American way of life, to the American Constitution, to the Declaration of Independence. And it's really what perpetuates, you know, to the extent that this country has suffered from uh, from race issues in its history, um, you know, to to continue to judge people based on race, to talk about race constantly uh, in the way that's happened uh, really since the Obama administration um, perpetuates racism um, and it's illegal. Um, and it's uh, it's great that that was overturned. No, it certainly was. But how alarming is it uh, to you, John? You're, I mean, this is what you practice here, constitutional law. And then when you see the write-ups coming from, you know, Supreme Justice uh, Clarence Thomas, who said the Constitution in this country should be colorblind. And no one knows this more than me, who grew up as a, you know, extremely poor uh, African-American in America, like really worked hard to achieve the American dream, went through the grinder to get to the eventual bench on the Supreme Court. And then you have the, the opposite kind of uh, dissension from Ketanji Brown Jackson, who literally is the diversity, equity, inclusion hire of the Supreme Court. Joe Biden promoted it openly as he campaigned, said he was going to hire a black woman to the Supreme Court once he became president of the United States. And when you see how far apart just nine judges on the, on the you know, the, the highest bench in the country are constitutionally legally on this is a little bit troublesome to see, uh, you know, what could happen just with one or two judges being replaced and, 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 you know, if it's a Democrat president where the country could go from there. 
Well, it certainly speaks to the it certainly speaks to the political um, and philosophical polarization um, of the nation right now. It really encapsulates that that there can be um, you know those kind of divergent views um, based on on um, you know one constitution. It also, however, really um, uh, demonstrates how important it is that we have this sacred written constitution uh, in the United States. Um, uh, you know, uh, our English forefathers did not have a written constitution. It was based more on, um, you know, tradition and things over the years. Um, and that allows that that allows um, uh, that allows things to move in a more tyrannical direction uh, much more quickly and easily than if you have a written constitution. So so even though there will always be uh, differences of opinion on how to interpret the constitution, the fact that we have a written constitution Constitution and regular Americans can look at the words and can compare the words to what, for example, the Supreme Court uh, says and uh, justices do in their um, in their majority concurring or dissenting opinions um, is a real bulwark for, uh, you know, freedom um, over the long run. No, I think you nailed it on the head right there. John, we're going to live link uh, anything you've got in the show description today, whether it be your foundation, the, the law center, uh, you name it, and then whatever your social media handles, we'll live link that as well. What are they? Uh, yeah, so um, the most important uh, thing that folks can do right now um, is go to www.nclu.com. Um, I actually believe we're putting up a new website as we speak, so hopefully it's up um, by the time your uh, listeners go there. Uh, but but we we very badly need help on these January 6 cases. The only way we're able to um, to pay for even the costs of these cases uh, is is help from people because these defendants. As I'm sure you know, don't have um, you know a lot of resources. So if folks can go there and uh, help out, that'd be great. And my uh, uh, my Twitter uh, handle is Cali Kid J M P C A L I K I D J M P. Absolutely fantastic! It was great hosting you today, John. We look forward to having you back at some point in the near future. We wish you the best of luck in these upcoming cases moving forward, and uh, we wish you a happy Fourth of July. This is the founder of the National Constitutional Law Union, Mr. John Pierce. Thanks for joining us on this Independence Day version of Steak for Breakfast. Thank you so much. Look forward to being back soon. Let me just be clear. I got into Harvard only because of affirmative action. I went to a school no one had ever heard of in Denver, Colorado, in a small suburb. I didn't go to Exeter or Andover. Yeah, I didn't right. have college test prep. I just happened to be really nerdy and smart and have really good grades and good SAT scores. Right. But someone came to Denver, Colorado to look for me. A Harvard right. recruiter flew to Denver, and I met up with her at the Village Inn restaurant and did a pre-interview to get to re to pull me into Harvard. I wasn't. I was pulled in, and the and the schools like Harvard and Yale that That's I got into affirmatively, yes. and it was literally not saying we're going to take an unqualified person and put them right. in Harvard. Yes. We're going to take a very qualified person who we would never know existed and put them in Harvard. That's how I got there. That's how Katanji got there. That's how Justice Jackson, I should say. Justice Jackson got there. It's how Clarence Thomas got there. Right. But the minute I arrived from my majority black little town, Montbello in Denver, to Harvard, the first like week or two that I was in class, my presence was questioned by white people. I was in this big conference class hmm. where some white students stood up and said, those students, the black students, they're only here because of affirmative action. It became a huge argument that we all ended up having. This was freshman year. I had never had my academic credentials questioned. I had never had anyone question whether I was intelligent until I got to Harvard. And it was a defining uh, point of my experience there. It's why I really was mis one of the many reasons I was miserable there my freshman year. Yeah. You feel completely out of place and people keep telling you you shouldn't be here. And yet some of the people I went to school with 
world far less smart than me or the other right. black folk there. Right. They got in because their daddy and their granddaddy. I right. went to school with somebody whose name was on one of the buildings. <laughs> You're going to school with people whose names are on the buildings, who are third and fourth generation legacies, whose parents pumped money into Harvard to get them right. in. But that affirmative action is okay with this majority. They said that the people who benefited from slavery, their descendants, who are so far ahead of black folk in terms of opportunity, that will never catch up to them. I don't care how many Oprahs we get. Those people's affirmative action is a-okay because those people yeah. can pay for fancy trips for them. Yeah. But you... <laughs> Man, it's going to be a trio of retards to start the back end of the show today. First of all, I just want to say it was great sitting down with John Pierce for the first time. He gave us some great insight onto this affirmative action ruling that happened late last week. He also touched on some of the January 6th uh, cases that he's going to be working on in just the next week. Uh, we're going to be sitting down with New York Young Republican Club President Gavin Wax at the end of this segment now. But we are going to talk about the fallout because there was a lot of it, especially from the radical progressive left over the course of the weekend on the SCOTUS ruling of 60 decision that basically said that using affirmative action to staff your colleges with students, both at the public school level like UNC and the private school level at Harvard is unconstitutional and therefore illegal. Um, of course, you had retards and racists like Joy Reid go on. All right, well, first of all, let's talk about things that never happened. During her freshman year in college at Harvard, we can all pretty much agree that no one in one of her freshman classes said that the only reason her, a black woman, is in that college to the rest of the class is because of affirmative action. We could pretty much all... Yeah, I'm calling bullshit on that. We're pressing X for doubt. That, because that wasn't even like a big, like contentious like talking point back then, right? No. Nor what do you think? I mean, I, I know affirmative action probably is something that seems very silly to you, but when you talk about diversity, equity, and inclusion, that's pretty much you know the new global standard. The the more colorful and diverse and and gay that you are, the higher ranking of a position, even ones that you have no qualifications for, is definitely where you need to sit to be like you know kind of the figurehead of representative agencies and and organizations and such, right? Um, no, absolutely. The first thing I'll say is, you know, you'll speak uh, with a constitutional lawyer who will have much more interesting uh, <laughs> things to say than me from the legal perspective. But this is one piece of the social engineering that's been going on for many decades on in different aspects, right? Especially in the in the race baiting game that they've set up in order to further divide society, right? So now everybody was talking about this um, affirmative action decision or ruling rather the past few days. And, you know, it's leading to more uh, division uh, between races, uh, let's put it that way, in, uh, in the U.S. And this is very much the goal, right? This has been the intent from the very beginning to pit different um, stratas of the population against each other uh, instead of actually uniting the population uh, because a united population obviously poses a threat to uh, these um, to these rulers, to the ruling class, to the elite of the of the country. Uh, but it's a it's a it's a great thing that happened. Just as you know, the overturning of Roe v. Wade was a very good thing as well. Um, this it was a type of um, modern segregation in a way. Uh, this is what a lot of people have been saying, and I and I would agree with that. Yeah, when you talk about 
Independence Day and the Fourth of July and why the Constitution and the Declaration of Independence are so important. It's it's getting over hurdles like this. It's yeah. you know the, the 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 written explanation of why the six three vote came down from Clarence Thomas, a near sixty page uh, essay mm-hmm. on, on on why this is important for the Constitution in our country to be colorblind and why merit based yeah. hiring yeah. practices and stuff is so critical for the success of our nation and the things that it was founded on, regardless of what other people think around the world. But it, the, it, the U.S. is a meritoc. I can never pronounce this word meritocracy. Uh, based nation and this is what has made your country so great and made uh, the country such a beacon of progress but in the right sense of the term not in the hijacked sense of the term and you mentioned these other terms you know inclusivity diversity these are all this is weaponized language that they've been using as part of the social engineering for decades and decades and decades to reach this point where we have uh, the society where people are completely, um, as I said, divided, but also completely dumbed down. Yeah. And uh, this is very much part of uh, of the agenda, right? To have a dumbed down uh, population. And uh, that's the result of not having a merit, merit-based merit system whereby the best candidates get into the universities and get the spots. But at the end of the day, I would say it's pretty moot because these institutions are basically propaganda arms of uh, of the the ruling class and of the the globalist agenda. They've they're completely captured and they're um, churning out these leaders, quote leaders, you know, leading scientists, leading intellectuals that are all bought and paid for, right, and that are all parroting the agenda and the narrative. This is on the more macro level, but anyway, well, if you those wanna, are my, my thoughts on that. If you want to talk about a sparkling example of it, Minnesota Congresswoman, immigration fraudster, brother Humper, Elon Omar was of course quick to jump in on this because it causes racial divide. Let's hear about some commentary that she provided over the course of the weekend. What you're seeing is severe backlash in in the sense that people do not want to see black and brown people um, excel in, in this country. And I think it's a, a, a really something that is unfortunate that we have to pay attention to and allowing the, the, the courts to legitimize and license discrimination in this kind of way um, really makes our, our country not the country that we want it to be, not the kind of future that we want to push forward. Mm. What kind of country do you think that she wants to push forward? I I hesitate to guess. She is a real piece of work, to be honest with you. Mm-hmm. She, she hates the country. She's she's part of those anos as I as I refer to them. They they just hate America and they they want to see America on her knees. That I, is, I don't even know if she's an Ano. I don't even think she calls herself an American. <laughs> no, you're you're 100% right there. She she hates everything about this country except and, for being here. Yes, and, and benefiting from being here. Well, that too. I'd like to see her stock portfolio. I saved the best for last before we get to any voice of reason. The biggest retard up on Capitol Hill. AOC Sandy Cortez, uh, you thought you wore out the garrison button with <laughs> the real Mr. Garrison. With Elon. Yeah. Lindsey Graham, trust me, no, oh, I saved gosh. you an absolute delight. She was the crown jewel of the Sunday morning news circuit appearing on CNN's 
State of the Fake Union <laughs> and had some thoughtful insight on like T H O T thoughtful thoughtful <laughs> on the Supreme Court rulings. Let's hear. I hate her voice. Courts, if they were to proceed without any check on their power, without any balance on their power, uh, then we will start to see an undemocratic and frankly dangerous authoritarian expansion of power in the Supreme Court, which is what we are seeing now from the overturning of abortion rights to the ruling that discrimination and frankly stripping the full personhood and dignity of LGBTQ people uh, in the United States. These are the types of rulings that signal a dangerous creep towards authoritarian and centralization of power in the court. In fact, we have members of the court themselves, with Justice Elena Kagan, saying that the court is beginning to assume the power of a legislature. Congress and will- right now, whether it is expansion of the Even court... Dana Bash knows she's I'm sorry to interrupt, but I just yes. want how, how do you do that? How do you... Are you proposing a law? Well, how do you what? Say this bullshit? Or a bill? I, I, there's several ways. First, we have a Senate Judiciary Committee that is beginning the process of investigating the entanglements and conflicts of interest. Just one to two weeks before the student loan ruling, the country learned that Justice Samuel Alito was accepting gifts from billionaires who were lobbying against Supreme Court uh, forgive or that were lobbying before the Supreme Court against student loan forgiveness. One hundred percent false. Just you know, just weeks before we learned that that he was accepting gifts from them um, and travel and vacations from them before he decided to uh, vote and rule in their favor. And so I believe that if Justice, if Chief Justice Roberts will not come before Congress for an investigation voluntarily, I believe that we should be considering subpoenas. Oh. We should be considering investigations. We must pass pass much more binding and stringent ethics guidelines. Where we see members of Cong- uh, where we see members of the of the Supreme Court potentially oh, oh, breaking oh. the law, as we saw in the refusal, you know, with Clarence Thomas to recuse himself uh, from cases implicating for his what? wife in in January sixth. There also must be impeachment on the table. We have a broad level of tools to deal with misconduct, overreach, and abuse of power. And the Supreme Court has not been receiving the adequate oversight necessary in order to preserve their own legitimacy. And in the process, they themselves have been destroying the legitimacy of the court, which is profoundly dangerous for our entire democracy. She just had to throw in that uh, choreographed news thing. This is extremely dangerous to our democracy. Of course it is. Oh! Listen, there's a lot to unpack there. Jeez. But I think the uh, the main point that everyone needs to focus on, especially here in the States, if you don't think retaining power in the House in the 2024 presidential election is critical, <laughs> just as important as winning back the White House, they will weaponize the Judiciary and House Oversight Committees. Just imagine if the Supreme Court makes a constitutional ruling on something as big as affirmative action, as big as Roe v. Wade, and then they're brought in before public committee to talk about the things that they're not supposed to talk about in public, how they got to that conclusion. It all comes out in their briefs and their dissents following the cases, but it's not supposed to be public record on how they are you know, figuring things out between the six conservatives and, and three liberal judges there. They they obviously can issue statements following, but 
the actual process is one of the things that I think is extremely sacred to upholding the constitutional integrity of our nation. And when you start to put it on display, it delegitimizes the court, number one, and it works towards their grand scheme of wanting to either expand and pack or just dissolve the court. I think they want to go more towards like the Galactic Senate, but we'll, we'll have to see where that goes, you know, in the, in the decades from, from now. But yeah, if they put, if they put everything out in the public view, then it's going to affect their ability to have conversations because they're going to be like worried about tiptoeing around like, well, you know, I can't, maybe I can't make this point. This is a valid point, but I can't really say it because somebody might take it the wrong way. They already have people illegally protesting outside of their houses, kidnapping attempts, murder attempts over the course of the last couple of years. You don't think bringing John Roberts or any of the other, uh, you know, conservative judges that that progressives don't like up to Capitol Hill if they win back the House in the next election cycle and grilling them for you think it's going to make their lives any easier? You think it's going to make their families' lives any safer? It sure won't. Nor what do you think the the Supreme Court is one of the last stop gaps this country has legally from going off the rails when you see it come under attack from. You know, a trio of progressives right there. Joy Reid is a commentator, and then Congresswoman mm-hmm. Elon Omar and, and Sandy Ocasio Cortez. What, what what do you think when when you see how much under attack one of the last pillars of, of you know justice integrity in this country is coming under? Listen, it's incredibly um, heartbreaking to see the state of the judicial system. Um, in the U.S. Uh, currently, and uh, to think that you know, people around the world looked to the U.S. as a beacon of justice, you know, liberty and freedom, of course, but justice as well in terms of how the government was set up by by, by the founding fathers, the system of checks and balances, and this has been completely uh, put upside down with the infiltration of these judges, these DAs, et cetera, just the entire system. And we were talking about the, the, we were talking about Mary Garland. So in terms of the Supreme court, um, the latest developments are incredibly encouraging, but you're absolutely right. Um, it is under attack and, uh, these people, these rabid people, um, that are fronted by, these actors, I call them actors sure. like Ilan Omar, like AOC, uh, who are doing the, uh, the, how would you say, the performative aspect of this attack are incredibly um, successful in the sense of appealing to a certain demographic that do believe, that have been brainwashed into believing that these are just terrible injustices that are being carried out. And listening to that clip of AOC is incredibly infuriating because just talk about the level of hypocrisy and of double standard. You know, where are all these people when they, when Hunter Biden is accepting pay for play, you <laughs> yeah. know, the pedo stuff, Joe Biden himself. I mean, it's, um, it's one big farce. And uh, thankfully, the majority of Americans are aware of it. Yeah, and, and there, the numbers do support that here. I did see some polls over the weekend that showed over 75% of Republicans and over 60% of independents supported this decision. So, you know, for the time being, we're still able to, you know, reasonably walk away from this, understanding what the Supreme Court justices mean when they rule on things that are that are this important. We, we should have... In the co- same way, in the same way that the population understands that these indictments are of President Trump are a total sham. Certainly are. That's a, that's a great example right there. Well, as we're getting ready to wrap this big Independence Day version of Steak for Breakfast, we're going to hear our last audio clip of the day. And we are going to have 
a little bit of voice of reason come in. Steak for breakfast enjoyer, America First congressman, Trump endorser, Corey Mills, uh, jumped on the Sunday morning news circuit to talk about, you know, how he felt this ruling affects the country and, and give some real-life examples during his time as a serviceman, a combat veteran, uh, where things like this apply. Let's hear him. I'm talking a lot about how the Supreme Court just ended race-based admissions in this country. However, military academies are excluded from that ruling, so you still can't use affirmative action when it comes to West Point or the Air Force Academy. How do you feel about that, and should race be a factor when deciding who gets into these schools? Well, personally, I can tell you that having served and being an Army combat veteran myself, you know, the idea that they need to implement something like affirmative action or diversity, equity, inclusion as a way to try and make their selection, it, it really actually does the opposite. It divides us as a armed forces. We're a cohesive unit that comes together. We don't care where you're from, what color of your skin, what religion you serve in. And if many people go out to Arlington Cemetery right now and they look at the rows and rows of military heroes, if you looked at that headstone, you wouldn't know by the name what color of skin or religion the individual is that's under there. You only know that you sacrificed for this nation. So I think that we need to get to a meritocracy. We need to get back to prioritizing ourselves on increased lethality, readiness, and being properly equipped, not on diversity, equity, and which is dividing our forces. Well, on that note, you are leading an effort to end a committee within the U.S. military that focuses on diversity, equity, and inclusion. Awesome. How close are you to reaching that goal? Tell us a little bit more about this push. So my report that actually would show that DEI has actually impacted not only the morale of our armed forces, but it's actually reduced our recruitment capabilities. You know, we have a 25,000 personnel recruitment deficit right now. You add that into the 8,600 that was unconstitutionally purged as a result of the COVID vaccine, you now have three military divisions that we can't fill. And so what we're trying to do is to put the report together that not only shows that it hasn't worked, but to get rid of the DEI completely out of our United States military and return our military to not serving a political agenda, but to serving our country and the American people. Yeah, the military. Not only does his stock continue to rise in mm -hmm. America first, but the man literally is a voice of reason cutting through so much of the bullshit that we see up on Capitol Hill and, and both inside and outside the Beltway. It's great to have Corey Mills as not only a friend of our show, but someone who provides great insight and expertise when he comes on the show based off of his real-life experiences, not only as a businessman, but like I previously mentioned, as a combat veteran. Yeah, when he talks about the they're having issues with retention, or not, he didn't even mention retention. That was what I was going to bring up, the the quotas that they're not they're not hitting over 30,000 retention is a huge thing too because yeah. as people get you know just uh browbeaten with all this nonsense they're 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 going to really have to weigh their options like do I really want to stay in this military with the direction that it's going like maybe maybe I'm not a true believer in in all the stuff that's going on right now maybe maybe I'm I'm thinking that if if something does happen we do go to war I'm probably going to be in a worse spot than I am right now. So they may not want to re even re-enlist. Well, that's, that's a perfect example. And, I mean, you saw that uh, person within the Army just over the last week. They've got, garnered national attention. They received a promotion and passed up a bunch of people just so they could come out as trans and put, a, like, a, their pronoun signs uh, on their desk and hang a trans flag up next to the American flag in their office. Like, mm. there's a lot of people who don't want to put their lives and their families' livelihoods on the line to fight for a force that – where your representation is, I can only feel comfortable to come out if I'm promoted in the armed services. Yeah, I mean, it, it used to be if you're going to get your balls blown off in the military, you had to jump on a grenade for it. You, not do, you do it the right way. Yeah. <laughs>
No, I like that. Nor, listen, this has been awesome sitting down with you on the 4th of July. You've provided a lot of expert commentary and insight for our listenership to digest. Been way too long, so that's kind of my fault. I'll, I'll take that as a strike one for me. I don't ever want to disregard our friendship or the amount of times you can come and be on our show. We'll get you back sooner for sure. We want to live link some stuff in our show description as well. Anything you've got, plus your Twitter handle, let our listenership know. Listen, bro, no strikes. Please don't worry about it. Anytime <laughs> is just a pleasure, so just reach out anytime. Um, as for the links, yeah, my website is norbinladen.com. Um, Twitter and Getter at Norbin Laden. And uh, I think that's pretty much it. And just in terms of the WHO, I started a website with a friend of mine, uh, Nick Ceruti in Geneva, uh, called wehurtothers.com. We Hurt Others, because it stands for WHO. And it's essentially a compilation of everything you need to know about the WHO's power grab. So if you want to educate yourself on all the different ways that they are using this vehicle to achieve their new world order agenda, give that website a uh, visit. We'll live link that in the show description as well, dear. Listen, it's great sitting down with you today. We'll get you back soon, and you enjoy the rest of your 4th of July. This is one of America First's strongest warriors from afar, Ms. Norbin Laden. Thanks for joining us on the show today. Thank you so much for having me, guys, and happy 4th of July. Happy Independence Day. Take care. Thanks. Man, what do you think, Noah? Fourth of July, you can't really beat having someone that loves this country as much as Norbin Laden does. It's been a long time since we sat down with her, but I'm glad we were able to catch up. What do you think? Yeah, excellent. A very fitting guest to have. And very fitting way to segue to our next patriot who's coming in here on this Fourth of July edition of the show. We're going to be sitting down with the president of the New York Young Republican Club, Gavin Wax. But before we do, let's hear again from one of our partners. Friends, I want to take a minute and talk to you about cigars. Whether you're on the golf course, fishing on the lake, or doing some yard work around the house, our friend Alan has got you covered. He's launched the Patriot Cigar Company. The tobacco is handpicked in the fields of Nicaragua, right next to where Mike Lindell picks his coffee beans. Cigars are hand-rolled each three years. If you enter promo code STEAK here, you're going to get 15% off your total order. Every order over $100, free shipping, and a $10 e-gift card is included with every purchase. MyPatriotCigars.com, that's MyPatriotCigars.com, a premium smoke for freedom-loving patriots. All right, joining us next on the show today, he's the 76th president of the New York Young Republicans Club. Always excited when Mr. Gavin Wax comes and joins us. Sir, happy Independence Day. Happy Independence Day to you gentlemen as well. Uh, blessed to be living in the uh, still the greatest country on the face of the earth, even though we're certainly going through some tough times at the present. Well, here's the thing, and it's one of the benefits of having you on the show. We're all fighting for it here and no one's more in the fight as you. What, what can you tell our listenership about, you know, uh, how you feel and, and how the club feels try to be a great representations of the things that we fought for on the 4th of July? Oh, uh, listen, I think uh, we have to keep fighting. We have to continue to stay true to our roots, our traditions as Americans, uh, that revolutionary spirit and zeal that won us our independence to begin with and, and the fights for liberty and our constitutional Republican form of government. All of these things uh, are more relevant than ever, uh, especially when they're threatened when they're in danger uh you know we're certainly not in the best times that are in our country's history uh we're certainly entering a dark period uh and uh days like today you know ground us and remind us of uh the trials and tribulations that many americans uh you know went through to get us uh to this point uh to fight to even prevent us from getting to this point rather to this low point and uh it's a good day to uh, level set and uh, think back on our history, our culture, everything that this country has accomplished in its short 
uh, short history comparatively. And uh, it's a reminder of why uh, we're extremely blessed. No, I think that's it right there. I mean, we, we shed a lot of light and appreciation on the great works that you guys do down at the club, the the Populist America First movement. It's one of the strong pillars that helps held it, you know, hold it up across the country. And I definitely think that uh, it's important when you look back to, to some of the promises and ideals that were made and interwoven into things like the Declaration of Independence and the Constitution. Uh, we, the radical progressive left would like nothing more than to see them disappear. And it's, uh, you know, bastions of freedom like you've guys got going on over at the New York Young Republicans Club that are helping reinvigorate a whole new generation of patriots to go and fight and stand for the same things we did back during the uh, revolutionary era. Absolutely. And I mean, think, uh, you know, we need to we need to learn from our uh, great American heroes of the past, from the Revolutionary War period. And, uh, you know, throughout the his throughout our history, there are many other uh, periods of time where we have a lot to learn about in terms of, you know, fighting to maintain our, our constitutional system, fighting against tyranny, fighting against oppression, fighting for our liberties, our God-given liberties. So, uh, you know, if we can have a small part to play in that current fight uh, in the presence, uh, all the more power to us and all the other uh, freedom-loving patriots across the country. Yeah, I do want to kind of bring it to present day. Gavin, I know you probably track the amazing uh, rally that President Trump held this week in Pickens, South Carolina. We touched on it earlier in the show. Uh, just the amount of people who who made it out there and, and showed their support for the 45th president that he's, you know, deep within the throngs of his quest to become the 47th. I did see over the last 24 hours you published a uh, new op-ed in the Daily Caller. Republican voters won't settle for a pale imitation of Donald Trump. Pretty much kind of clearly lines it up right there. You want to tell our listenership a little bit about what went into the premise of writing that? Yeah, absolutely. Well, first I'll say it was a massive rally in South Carolina. I think Pickens has, what, 3,000 people, and there was over 55,000 in attendance, uh, something uh, sort of unheard of in politics to swarm such a small town, overwhelm such a small town. I mean, it was enough to fill a stadium. Trump has filled stadiums in the past, and he clearly has the ability to do so again. And South Carolina is a pretty early state in the primaries. Uh, so it's fantastic to see that kind of uh, outpouring of support. And we saw the DeSantis supporters on Twitter, the DeSimps, as I like to call them, they were, uh, they were, you know, freaking out. They were in a state of, uh, a state of grief for over 24, 48 hours following that massive rally, trying to diminish it, saying it was a small crowd. First, they were saying it was a few hundred, then a few thousand. Then they said, oh, he it wasn't 75,000, it was only 55,000, thinking that was some kind of a, of an own or a... Uh, or a dig at the president. I mean, they can't. I mean, it was more people than and then all of DeSantis's rallies combined. Uh, so it just goes to show the strength of the MAGA movement, the strength and popularity of uh, Trump as a candidate. And uh, listen, I think that played into my article, which uh, you know discussed how the uh, primary voters, Republican voters, conservatives, they don't want a Trump light. They don't want the Diet Pepsi version of the president. They want the real deal, the real McCoy. And uh, he's still fighting. He still has it. He's, uh, you know, he's, he's, he's all over the place. You know, after the, uh, the, the, the Mothers for Liberty event in Philly, he went through the city of Philly, you know, got massive crowds of support coming up to him, you know, in, in deep blue Philly. Then he was in South Carolina. I mean, he's, he's back and forth across the country. Meanwhile, DeSantis, you know, the young 
the supposedly super young and energetic, you know, alternative to Trump, you know, he goes to these events and then he's gone. He's back in the basement. And you saw these surrogates of DeSantis, people like Christina Pouchard, whoever, you know, they're attacking Trump for running a basement campaign. I mean, it's just pure textbook definition gaslighting we're seeing because they realize that it's actually DeSantis running this basement campaign. Trump is out there. Trump was at the people. He's holding these rallies. He's on the streets. He's getting Philly cheesesteaks. He's hitting all these events. He's doing all the things we saw him do back in 2015, 2016, when we all came to know and love him. And he's doing it again with the same gusto, with the same energy. And you just love to see it. And it just goes to show that DeSantis just does not have it in him. He doesn't have the energy. He doesn't have the presence. He doesn't have the charisma. He doesn't have uh, the, you know, the cutting edge uh, in terms of, you know, cutting a new path ideologically that Trump has done. No one wants to see that. No one wants that. They don't want the second rate version. They don't want the discount uh, dollar store version. They want the brand name item. And that brand is Donald J. Trump. No, I think you hit it right on the, the head there, Gavin. It's it's one of the biggest components of going, you know, the current election cycle that we've got going on right now. It seems like the mainstream media, the print press, the international donor class, lobby groups internationally are kind of pretending that Donald Trump doesn't exist. They're they're acting like the GOP primary is the primary when you see how bad Ron DeSantis's campaign has never caught its footing since it got out of the starting blocks. You have people like, you know, Chris Christie becoming one of the most polarizing conservative figures in the history of, of politics where his approval ratings now are, are just as bad or even worse than they were when he left the state of New Jersey and that was hovering around single digits uh, in approval. You had a major event where nearly, you know, close over 55,000 people showed up. We can guarantee that based off of what the fire marshal said. It was probably closer to 70 as, as some are estimating, but you've got two nationally known candidates, a senator and a former governor, also an ambassador, Nikki Haley and Tim Scott, who just completely pretended like the event didn't even happen. What is it when you see stuff like that combined with Paul Ryan going on TV last week and saying, like, now he's come to the conclusion that Donald Trump can win, but he doesn't want him to, that America is not going to settle in such dire straits as our nation is in right now for anybody other than, and here's the big thing, someone who can solve the problems that are going on for our country right now absolutely i think uh people particularly even you know the democrats uh not just the desantis or republican establishment they're starting to come to the realization that not only is trump the favorite and most likely uh to win the republican nomination in the primary he's also very likely uh to win the general i mean we've seen a consistent trend in the polling across different polls with different methodologies and different sample sizes and 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 uh, breakdowns uh that have shown consistently over a period of months that this race in the general election between biden and trump is effectively neck and neck yeah uh with some of them even showing trump ahead by a significant number and then trump does not need to even win the national popular vote to win the electoral college that's how he got it in 2016 it just depends on the geographic spread of this of these voters in some of these swing states and he could he could theoretically win in a d plus two d plus three environment uh so we're seeing a very real possibility of the return of president donald j trump to the white house and we're seeing again these these polls which of course are flawed and are not perfect but they're always flawed and biased against the republican in particular against trump so if these same polls that still have those biases baked in and he's overcoming that bias 
uh, that just goes to show that his strength is is quite well padded, that he actually has a strong margin of support to overcome uh, the methodological margin of error. And uh, that's fantastic to see because he's never polled this well, either in 16 or in 20. Uh, and we knew we know how close, quote unquote, uh, the race was in 2020. And we know uh, what he was able to accomplish historically in 2016 with the breaking of the blue wall. So anyone looking at this should be very optimistic. Uh, the advantages of incumbency do not pertain to Joe Biden because he's also running against a former incumbent and they both have records that they can run on. And Trump's record on every in every category far surpasses Biden's, whether it's the economy or foreign policy, you name it. Uh, so it's incumbent versus incumbent. We haven't seen an election like this since I believe Grover Cleveland right. in the 1880s. Uh, so it's a it's a historical election cycle. There's a lot of trends that should make us hopeful. And of course, our detractors and our enemies, whether in the establishment or whether in the Dem camp, are certainly freaking out and are certainly hoping that, you know, the worst happens to Trump, that he's thrown in jail or whatever else. I don't really know what they're hoping for, but it's certainly not anything good. Uh, and it just goes to show they're, they're desperate. They're very desperate. And a poll just came out recently that shows DeSantis is now down to 16%, I believe. I mean, he's, he's cut his support in half more than half since January. Uh, he's in danger of being surpassed by Vivek Ramaswamy. Yep. I mean, I think if that happens, we're going to see an absolute meltdown online. Uh, so all of this stuff is coming home. It's coming to fruition. Uh, we're going full circle here. We're seeing uh, you know, the resurgence of Trump, and we're seeing the utter political collapse of Ron DeSantis. And uh, I, I'm of the opinion now that the longer this goes on for, uh, you know, Ron is simply destroying his political future uh, for the next few cycles. I don't think he'll ever be president at this rate. And uh, it's a sad demise uh, for a candidate that had so much promise. But that's what happens when you make a deal uh, with the consultant class. That's what happens when you make a deal with the donor class, when you make a deal with the establishment. Uh, you know, you you sacrifice a ton and you get very little in return. And I think he's learning it the hard way. Speaking of people that learned it the hard way, we touched on it a little bit when we uh, did our roundup of the Trump rally down in Pickens, South Carolina. You want to talk about Ron DeSantis looking like Lindsey Graham maybe 10 years from now to where he can endorse one of the most popular, if not the most popular presidents in the history of modern politics and get booed for five <laughs> minutes straight unrelentlessly on stage uh, down in South Carolina, which is, you know, places where he wins statewide elections every four or five years. So I just think it's absolutely wild what Ron is Because of open primaries, which is a problem in the South. I know Mr. Roger Stone sure. was calling this out today. The South has an issue with these open primaries, which allow Democrats to, to vote in Republican primaries. And it allows people like, you know, Lindsey Graham to, to avoid a primary challenge. But look, I, I give Trump kudos. I mean, look, uh, Graham has obviously poll in South Carolina. Uh, he, he has institutional poll. Uh, so it's good to sort of keep him on a leash and in your corner. But at the same time, it's also very powerful to let to let him know, uh, you know, who, who's really the boss and putting him on stage and having your own supporters boo him uh, is a power move. Yeah, it's a power move. It's a power move to make sure he knows his place and knows that Trump can end him at any point. Uh, so stay loyal. Pull the strings in my favor, but just remember who's your boss, and that boss is President Donald J. Trump. So that's how I view it, and I think there's a lot of people that lack a lot of political nuance, particularly these disimps who have been attacking Trump uh, for even having him speak. And, I, and I'm saying, no, I mean, look, the guy's a senator. He has institutional pull in South Carolina, an important state, and uh, he's putting him on the stage 
uh, to basically show him who's boss. So I think it's brilliant. Yeah, I think Lindsey Graham loves the amount of money Donald Trump spends on the military the first time he was in office as well. Didn't use it to wage war or, or continue wars anywhere, but definitely, uh, you know, please all those people who back Lindsey Graham institutionally, the military industrial complex, Lockheed Martin, all those places, etc. So, Gavin, before we cut with you, we always like to touch on the gala that's coming up. I think we're a little under five months away before you guys host the biggest conservative shindig and all you know the crown jewel of gala season this is going to be a huge one the biggest in your guys history this year you got any updates for us oh uh, well things are coming along very swimmingly we're getting a lot of tickets coming in and uh, we're going to have some big announcements on speakers very soon i think we're going to have our most star-studded lineup uh this year we're very excited for it and uh we're hoping to pack it out pack it out maybe six seven hundred people black tie this is our final gala uh, before the election season next year, before the uh, primaries really kick off and before the general election. So uh, this will be the last gala, uh, I guess, in the Biden administration, we we hope. And I think by uh, 2024, we'll be welcoming in the return of President Donald J. Trump. So I think uh, it's going to be an interesting event, to be sure, our big 111th annual gala, uh, continuing to make history with the club. And uh, I'm encouraging everyone to get their tickets while they're still on early bird. And, uh, you know, we'll be hearing a lot more about the gala very soon. Perfect. And I mean, guys, he keeps hinting out there, you know, the last gala before the presidential election. Hint, hint, wink, wink. No promises, but I'm just saying he says it every time he comes on the show. You guys got to be able to do a little simple math on steak for breakfast. Put two and two together. It, it still equals four here, no matter how many times Noah says it equals five. That's racist. <laughs> how dare me. Gavin, we're going to live link the uh, club and your website in the show description today. But for anyone that's not following you on social media, where can they find you? Well, thank you, guys. It's always great to be on Steak for Breakfast, my favorite podcast and my favorite breakfast, believe it or not. Uh, three hard, uh, three over hard eggs and uh, a medium rare steak. But anyway, you can follow me at Gavin Wax, G-A-V-I-N-W-A-X. That's Twitter, Instagram, Facebook, and all the rest. You can follow the New York Young Republican Club, the oldest and largest in the country, at NYYRC and NYYRC.com. Thank you, gentlemen, for having me. Thank you for spending some time with us today on this 4th of July edition of Steak for Breakfast. This is the president of the New York Young Republicans Club, Gavin Wax. Thanks for joining us. Thank you, guys. Cheers. Can't be any more stars and stripes than we were today. Noah, what do you think? Not even a little bit. If you enjoyed this episode of the podcast and want to hear the now over 250 other editions of the show, make sure you're subscribed to us across every downloadable podcasting platform. That's on Apple, Spotify, Google Podcasts, and iHeartRadio. Rate the show, leave a review, and make sure you're subscribed big 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 important for steak for breakfast in addition find us across all of our social medias twitter getter truth social and instagram find the podcast account follow it and hit the notification bell we want to thank all of our guests for coming down and spending some time with us today on this independence day edition of the podcast miss norbin laden for co-hosting and gavin wax and john pierce great talking with them we'll be talking with a lot more people on our friday edition of the show don't worry we'll be back with episode 254 supply chain expert and economist jim nails will be in studio Former Trump administration official Jeff Clark will be here for the first time. We'll get inside the numbers with Rasmussen's pollings, Mark Mitchell, and Brian Lee will be joining us as well. On behalf of the pod team, I'm Roan. Noah? Later. Guys, thanks for listening. Have a great rest of your 4th of July, and take care. I go home. People ask me, hey, who? 
Why do you do it, man? Why? You some kind of war junkie? I won't say a goddamn word. Why? They won't understand. They won't understand why we do it. They won't understand it's about the men next to you. And that's it. That's all it is.